Good morning, everybody. In case you don't know, I'm Jerry Seville. I can't remember the last time I was here. But I have been in church. I rest assured, I have been in church somewhere, praise God. Amen. We're glad to be here this morning and looking forward to sharing the word with you. Brother Copeland, Brother Jesse, and myself just returned from Guadalcanal out in the middle of the Pacific. And uh, major, major battles were fought there during World War II. And uh, I've always had it in my heart to go to all of the places that my dad fought in the Pacific during World War II. And this was a dream come true. And uh, next year I'm planning on going to Okinawa where he fought and was in the invasion of Okinawa. And uh, God is just moving all over the world. Smith Wigglesworth prophesied that one of the last moves of God that would take place was in the islands of the world before the return of the Lord Jesus. So we're getting close, praise God. We're getting close. Amen. Believers Convention starts tomorrow morning. Amen. Brother Copeland is saying it's the big one. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, don't miss the big one. Praise God. I'm looking forward to it. I've had the privilege of speaking in every believer's convention since Brother Copeland started them. Many, many years ago, in fact, I was just a young man. I think I was about 30 or 32, something like that. And uh, that was almost 50 years ago. (laughs) Praise God. But uh, it's always been a, a great honor and a great joy to, to minister in those conventions, and uh, I'll trust you'll make your plans to be in as many of them as you possibly can, and we welcome all of our guests here today that have arrived uh, early to join us in the service today that are here to attend the Believers' Convention, so let's give them a good hand, amen, <clears throat> amen, praise God. And I wanted to share with you that you are the very first group that will be able to purchase my brand new book, Show Me the Glory. Show me your glory, Lord. Uh, This has just come out. I think it arrived on Friday. And uh, so it'll be in the book shop back there after the service. So uh, it's many of the messages that I've been preaching around the world on the glory of God. So take advantage of that. And then also... We have uh, produced some cool T-shirts, show me your glory, in gray and in blue, praise God, and uh, this won't fit you, Tony, and uh, so uh, go out and get your T-shirt and be the first to wear them to the convention, praise God, amen. I've already started wearing mine, praise God, I don't have it on today, but I have been wearing it around the house, praise God. Amen. Well, I'm excited about the lesson today. I'm excited about the message. I've got a lot to cover. So look at your neighbor and say, pay close attention and take notes. Now, all of you know by now that my instructions from the Holy Spirit pertaining to 2018 were to encourage everyone everywhere I go, and I have been around the world just since the month of January of this year, to tell everyone to keep on their lips and in their prayers these words, Lord, show me your glory. So let's say it right now. Lord, Lord, 
show me your glory. Now, last week I was watching Justin. Uh, my time zones were different, so I got to watch Justin preach before I went into my service. And uh, I heard him say that he's not only saying, Lord, show me your glory, but he added, and Lord, I'm seeing your glory. Praise God. Amen. So let's say that. Lord, show me your glory. And I am seeing your glory. That's a statement of faith, praise God. The Bible says we call things that be not as though they were. And if you keep calling them, then they will become. Hallelujah. That's just basic faith principles. So once again, we've been talking about the Lord showing us His glory. Now we have learned that the glory of God consists of three major components. Number one, it's a manifestation of the presence of God. Number two, it is a manifestation of the power of God. And then number three, it is a manifestation of the goodness of God. Now, Psalm 9.3 says, we've learned this, that when the, when the presence of God comes on the scene, Psalm 9.3 says, when my enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. So I like to say it this way. When the presence of God is on the scene, every attack of the adversary will cease. Every assignment on your life from the adversary will be broken, praise God, when you stand in the presence of God. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, we need to take that more seriously because the presence of God can come in the praise and worship service. I believe we experienced the presence of God just a few moments ago. But few people recognize it. They think we're just singing. They think it's just a part of the service we're just singing. No, it's to bring the presence of God in. The Bible says we enter into His presence, into His gates and His courts through thanksgiving and praise. So that's the purpose for the praise service. It's not just so we can just sing. And it's not just so we can show off how good we can sing. Some of us don't have anything to show off about, you know. (laughs) Amen. But it's to bring the presence of God in the scene, on, on the scene, praise God. And we need to recognize that and we need to take advantage of it. When you sense the presence of God through the praise and worship, then it'll be okay for you to just stop right then and say, I receive my healing. I receive every assignment of the adversary broken on my life right now in his presence. The book of Acts says in chapter 3 that there is a refreshing that comes from the presence of the Lord. You know, many people come to church and they're worn out from the weak activities. They're worn out from uh, the the attacks that they've experienced. They're they're under pressure. And, And one of the ways that you experience the presence of God and a ref- uh, one of the ways you experience a refreshing is to be in the presence of God. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Amen. It, in, the, in the Amplified Bible in Acts chapter 3, about 19 through 21, <clears throat> it says that it, you will recover from the effects of heat. Yes. Yes. Amen. Recover from the effects of being in the fiery furnace. Yes. Amen. And so it's important that we understand that there are biblical ways of getting in the presence of God. It's not mystical. It's not difficult. It's not hard. 
It does take a decision. Amen. It does require a decision for you to do so. That's the reason so many times you find, and David had a revelation of praise and worship, perhaps better than anybody in the Bible. And many times you will find him starting off with, I will praise the Lord. I will magnify his name. I will. Notice that's an act of his will. Amen. So you can be in the presence of God just as often as you want to be. And it doesn't take a whole church at the same time to get there. I get in the presence of God all by myself. I've been in the presence of God this morning, praise God. Hallelujah. So it's important that we understand that we have access to the presence of God. Amen. Don't be looking for a cloud. Don't be looking for smoke. Don't be looking for lightning. Those are just manifestations of the glory of God. But they're not always, that, that's not the only way that God manifests His glory. So don't go around saying, well, I guess I never got in the presence. I didn't see any lightning bolts. <clears throat> now you can be in the presence of God all by yourself. You can be in the presence of God on your way home in your car. Hallelujah. I got in the presence of God many times on my motorcycle and had to pull over. It's dangerous lifting both hands. When you're riding a motorcycle 70 miles an hour, you know, and, and, and many times on tours, uh, you know, I'll be up in the front and, and, uh, I'll just have to pull over and it's got to where now they'll say, he just got a revelation from God or he's in the presence of God. They've learned me now. Praise God. Amen. So you can be in God's presence and that's one of the manifestations of the glory of God. And so once again, he says in Psalm nine, verse three, When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. And then verse 4 from the message translation says, and David speaking to God, he said, you took over and set everything right. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? God took over. When you're in his presence, he takes over. Look at your neighbor and say, when you're in the presence of God, then God takes over. And makes everything right. I think you ought to give him praise for that right now. Amen. So how many of you would like for God to take over right now? Obviously we all would. Now, we've also learned that a manifestation of his power is part of the glory of God. And we've learned from Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, that God makes it very clear that nothing is too hard for him. He asked Sarah when he said to Abraham and Sarah that you will have a son, you will have a child. And from this child will come a mighty nation. And Sarah laughed because it was impossible for her to bear a child. It was impossible for her to conceive. So she laughed. And the Lord said, why did you laugh? And then he said, is there anything too hard for the Lord? In the little Hebrew, it's El Shaddai. Nothing is too hard for El Shaddai. El Shaddai means the God in whom nothing is impossible. And that's our God. Can you say amen? So in a manifestation of the power of God, then what seems to be impossible becomes possible. Can you say amen? Amen. 
And finally, we've learned that a manifestation of God's goodness is also part of being and experiencing the glory of God. David once declared in Psalm 65, 11, Thou crownest the year with thy goodness, and thy paths drop fatness. Notice he said, you crowned my year with your goodness. That's what I'm believing my year will be like, praise God. My year has already begun that way. How I many of you can say, it's already begun, praise God. And notice he said, you have crowned the year with your goodness and your paths drop fatness. And fatness here in the literal Hebrew means prosperity and abundance. So everywhere God walks, prosperity and abundance is dropped there. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. So once again, the presence of God, the power of God, and the goodness of God. That's what makes up the glory of God. Now, I want to share something with you today that the Lord impressed upon me. That, uh, and, it, and it all began with some conversations I've had with some people over the last couple of months. And, and especially many ministers, pastors where I've preached. And the question has been this, Brother Jerry, why haven't I seen my harvest? I'm a sower. Why haven't I seen my harvest? Well, that's the question that a lot of people want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. Why haven't I seen my harvest? Now, if you're not a sower, then I'm not even talking to you. Because the only way you can expect a harvest is to become a sower. Say, sower. A sower in the Bible is one who practices sowing. Lives to give. We're not talking about somebody who gives an offering occasionally. We're not talking about a one-time tither. We're not talking about somebody who helps somebody else one time. We're talking about consistent sowing. We're talking about uh, habitual sowing. We're talking about you wake up in the morning asking God where you can sow seed. Amen. Amen. Asking God, show me where I can be a blessing today. And sowing doesn't always... Uh, it's not always limited to money. Sometimes just a kind word, just a pat on the back, just a helping hand. You know, a listening ear to someone. You know, that's sowing. The Bible makes it clear that, that uh, uh, there are many ways to sow. Our words are seeds. Our thoughts are seeds. Our actions are seeds. So there's many ways to sow, but we're talking about in particular this morning about financial seed because the Bible does teach, particularly from the apostle Paul in second Corinthians chapter nine and in Galatians chapter six, that money finances are a form of seed. Amen. How many of you have seen that from the word and you understand that? All right. Now the question is, if you're a sower, then why aren't you reaping? Amen. To not reap 
from seeds you've sown is a violation of spiritual law. Because Genesis chapter 8 verse 22 says, as long as the earth remains, last time I checked, the earth was still here. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease. Can you say amen? Amen. Now here lately, that, that verse also includes summer and winter, hot and cold and so forth. And if you're from here, then here recently, you've experienced heat, hot. We've had over, what, over 13 days, 15 days, something like that, of over 100 degrees. And, and uh, you know, we're not done yet. So if you don't like the heat, stick around, cold's coming. That's what you got to look forward to, hallelujah. While you're sweating like a Missouri mule, as Jesse says. <laughs> we were in Guadalcanal. We were wringing wet after every service. And Jesse said, I'm sweating like a Missouri mule. And, uh, and he was, praise God. But if, you're, if you've been sweating like a, like a hog, we always said, uh, stick around. It's going to change. Because as long as the earth remains hot and cold, heat and cold, summer and winter, they're coming. Amen. 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 But don't exclude seed time and harvest. Next time you wake up and uh, it's 90 degrees already outside and they're forecasting reaching 112, just think. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Seed time and harvest. Boy, it's hot today, but seed time and harvest. And come this winter when there's snow on the ground and ice and you're sliding everywhere, just think, whoo, seed time and harvest. Because it shall not cease. Can you say amen? So for you to be a sower. Now, when Jesus taught about sowing, particularly in Mark chapter 4, on the sower soweth the, the word. The Amplified Bible in Mark 4, 3 says, a sower went out to sow. That's what sowers do. That's right. Amen. Amen, that's what sowers do. They go out to sow. So if you are a sower, then you've got sowing on your mind all the time. <clears throat> I'm gonna try this side of the auditorium. <laughs> If you are a sower, then you've got sowing on your mind all the time. Because <clears throat> sowers, that's what they do. They go out to sow. <clears throat> when uh, I was a little boy, I was born on a farm in Mississippi. My grandfather, we had about 80 acres. And my grandfather farmed a number of those acres every year. And uh, I loved getting on the tractor with my grandfather and going out to the field. And... Uh, You know, the purpose for going to the field and getting the soil prepared was to sow. Amen. He was a farmer. And and that's how he made it through the depression was he had that farm. He was able to take crops to the market and sell them. And and he was able to sustain his family uh, by having that farm. He had cattle, he had hogs, uh, chickens. I mean, grandpa sold everything. (laughs) Ham, beef, eggs. 
chickens, potatoes, corn, everything. So that farm was his way of, of surviving the depression in 1929. But my grandfather also was a tither. Amen. Now, Grandpa, he went to Calvary Baptist Church. And it was just a couple of miles from where we lived. But Grandma, she didn't like Calvary Baptist Church. There was a black church just down the road from us, walking distance. And Grandma liked the black church. She said, they're more lively. <laughs> and, and whatever Grandpa gave Grandma in the way of, you know, money, she'd take her tithe to the black church. He'd take his tithe to the Calvary Baptist Church. And I'll never forget, sometimes if Grandpa didn't get to go to church, which wasn't too often, but if he didn't make church on Sunday, Monday morning, bright and early, there was a deacon knocking on Grandpa's door with his hand out for the tithe. <laughs> Maybe we should do that, Justin. You got the names and address of all these people? He showed up. The deacon showed up, knocked on the door, had his hand out. And if he didn't make it to church, if grandpa didn't get to church, the man was there to pick up his tithe. Why? Because he knew he was a sower. Uh, when when uh, we merged the church we had years ago, Overcoming Faith Center, with Grace Temple with Brother Harold Nichols. And so that I could have the liberty to travel around the world because I couldn't pastor a church and, and travel around the world at the same time. And God had begun to open the ministry to, to the nations. And so uh, I was not at church very often because I was traveling somewhere. But on Saturdays, if I was home on Saturday, I would drive to Brother Nichols' house and hand him my tithe check. I said, Brother Nichols, I won't be in church in the morning, but here's my tithe check. He said, I wish I had more people like you. <laughs> Why? Because sowers go out to sow. A sower went out to sow. So I wouldn't dare come to church, and I'm talking about Heritage of Faith Church. I wouldn't dare come to church without a tithe check. I'd just soon forget my britches. And, and you wouldn't want me to do that. Slacks, okay, for you northern people. Uh, britches, we called them, you know. I, 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 would, I would rather come to church without my suit on than without my tithe. Amen. I tell people, you know, when I'm preaching in other churches, three things you need to bring to church. Number one, your Bible. Number two, your tithe. And number three, a notebook. Or nowadays, iPad iPhone, you know, something to take notes on. Three important things to bring to church. Amen. Because sowers go out to sow. We shouldn't, we shouldn't have to preach several sermons a year about tithing. One should work. Amen. I, I have, I know people in this church. A lot of you I don't know. Because uh, it seems like every time I'm here, uh, I see people I hadn't seen before. So I don't know everybody. 
but some that I do know that have been coming here almost since the church began have told me that when they started tithing, their income went up immediately. Now, that's not a Jerry Savelle principle. That's a God principle. Amen. So get it into your thinking that sowers go out to sow. That's what they do. Amen. Mechanics work on engines. Body men work on panels. Sowers go out to sow. Lawyers try cases. You know, doctors, uh, you know, prescribe medication and and whatever it is to, to get a person healed. Amen. That describes their life. When you, when you are introduced to a man that tells you I'm a physician, then you immediately think uh, health care. He helps people get healed, live better lives. A man introduces as a lawyer. Uh, hello, I'm, um, I'm Jim Jones, uh, and I'm a lawyer. Well, immediately you think he tries cases. Amen. Somebody says... Uh, uh, Hello, uh, I, I'm a concrete contractor. Well, what do you think? Well, the next time I walk up to you and say, hello, I'm Jerry Savelle, I'm a sower. That describes what I do. It's what I do, man, it's what I do. <laughs> I'm a sower. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a sower. <clears throat> now, in the conversations I've had, and, and like I said, this has been going on for a couple of months now. The majority of the places where I've been, and particularly with a lot of ministers, they're sowers, but they're not seeing the kind of harvest that God has promised in His Word. So, what's missing? What's the problem? Amen. Is it God? No. Is it His Word? No. Is it the Holy Ghost? No. Something wrong with our seed? No. Now, it could be, but not always. It could be the soul you're putting it in. Because over the years, and I learned this more, Robert, years ago, I've had to redirect my seed. Because some soul that I had been planting in was no longer good soul. Amen. 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 Brother Roberts said to me one time, he said, uh, you know, and and I learned a lot about sowing and reaping from him. And he said to me one time when I was in his office, he said, Jerry, I have uh, been instructed by the Lord to, to look closer at where I'm distributing my seed. And he said, and, and, and I've begun to realize that some of the ministries that I had been sowing into have gotten off course. They got in rebellion. They got into sin. They, you know, different things. And he said, and the Lord told me to redirect my seed. It's not going in good ground anymore. Amen. Because Amen. it's good ground that produces 30, 60, and 100 fold. So I would say, if you're not 
experiencing the kind of harvest that the Bible says you're entitled to, then check where you're planting it. Maybe you need to redirect your seed. Don't stop sowing seed. Redirect it. You know, years ago, uh, I was in in Kenya. And uh, a minister friend of mine, a very well-known minister, he told me that he had been supporting uh, a church there in Kenya. And he'd been doing so for a long time. And so uh, Joe and I were in Kenya. And I asked this man, we were going to an area where I knew this, this church was that this friend of mine had been supporting for a number of years. I said, would you take me by uh, the church that this man pastors? He said, sure, we're nearby. We drove into this little area and the church, it wasn't nearly as, it, it wasn't much bigger than this platform. And I said, would you take me by the man's house that pastors this church? Do you know where he lives? He said, oh, yes. And we drove outside of that community and this huge, huge church, uh, house that this man had built for he and his family with the money that my minister friend had been sending him to build a church. And I said, this is where the man lives? He said, yes. I said, how long has he been living here? He said, for years. Not only that, he owns all this land around here. He's bought up cattle. He sends his children to private schools and and so forth. And I thought, I wonder if I should tell the man that I knew who had been sending the money. And I wasn't going to do it. I thought, well, that's none of my business. But it wasn't long when I got home, I was in the man's presence. I said, sir... I think you ought to send one of your representatives to Kenya and check out what your seed has been used for. That's all I said. And he did. And he come back home and he said, uh, we have redirected our seed. (laughs) Why? Because it was not going where he thought it was going. And the man who was using it had become a deceiver. And that is not good ground. Can you say amen? Okay, I didn't intend to get off on that, but I think it's important. Amen. Sometimes you need to pray about redirecting your seed. Amen. If it's in good soil, keep it there, praise God. Keep sowing there. Now, once again, Genesis eight twenty two says, As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease. Galatians 6, 7 says, For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And Second Corinthians chapter 9 says that if we sow liberally, we will reap liberally. Now once again, I'm not reading First Jerry, I'm reading the Bible. Amen? If, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow generously or liberally, God promises God promises. Say God promises. God promises you will reap liberally. Amen. Amen. Now, if I'm not reaping liberally and I am sowing liberal seed, that is a violation of spiritual law. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, 
Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now there's God's promise. We shall reap. Everybody say, we shall reap. Now, the Bible does say in due season, but it does promise a harvest. So if you've been going year after year after year and not seeing your harvest, uh, what happened to due season? My, my grandfather never planted corn, and then years later, he finally reaped a harvest. He got a harvest every year, a harvest every year, a harvest every year. There is a due season. Amen. We should, we should have testimonies of harvest every year. Can you say amen? You may not get all of your harvest in the same year. But if you're a sower, you got seed going everywhere. You're scattering seed everywhere. And the Bible says in Proverbs 11, he that scattereth seed increaseth. Amen. So there should be some evidence of a harvest. All right, now listen to this. I'm a sower. Carolyn's a sower. Jerry Savelle Ministries International is a sower. Heritage of Faith Christian Center is a sower. We sow here. Amen. We're in the business of sowing. We don't keep everything that comes into this ministry. We don't keep everything that comes into this church. We're sowers. We're looking for opportunities to sow. Now, that's not to mean that we're stupid and easily taken advantage of. I just thought I might bring that up. Amen. But we're sowers. Now, I'm only saying this, I'm only sharing this with you for the benefit of instruction. Last year alone, Jerry Sow Ministries International and Heritage of Faith Christian Center sowed nearly $2 million into other ministries, into missions, into orphanages, into people's lives around the world, including people in this congregation. All right, we sowed nearly $2 million last year alone, just one year. This year, and I I keep reports of this, I get reports, I got a report from the accounting department just this week. We have sown through Jerry Savelle Ministries International and Heritage of Faith up unto the 15th of July, over $900,000. So we're on, we're on course to either match what we did last year or go above. Amen. Now, if you just follow the math, if the Bible is true and we know it is, then we're entitled, I would say, to a liberal, generous, overwhelming harvest. We could build any building we wanted to build. We could support any ministry we wanted to support. We could help other churches build their buildings. Just on the harvest from our seed over the last two years alone. 
or the last year and a half, including this, this year. So follow the math. $2.9 million has been sown into good soil, which would mean if God only matched me dollar for dollar, I'd be looking at a $2.9 million harvest. I could use that. I wouldn't turn that down. Amen. If all God did was match me dollar for dollar, that's 2.9 million. And there, there have been times when, when I was struggling financially in the ministry and I'd say, God, forget tenfold, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, hundredfold. Just match me dollar for dollar. <laughs> you ever been that way? You ever felt that way? Well, that's not the way God operates. He's in the addition and the multiplying business. Now, if God only matched me dollar for dollar, I would be looking at $2.000,000 harvest. But if that's all I can expect, then once again, it'd be a violation of spiritual law. Bring me that. I'm sorry for this pitiful looking apple, but it's the only one I could find at home. That apple has seeds. Would you agree? You can count the number of seeds that are in this apple. But it's impossible to count the number of apples that are in those seeds. Slice it open there, Tony, and see if you can count the number of seeds. I will tell you in advance, there's somewhere between five and ten seeds in that apple. On the average, five seeds, sometimes six, eight seeds, usually not more than 10. So if you cut that apple open, you're going to find about anywhere from five to 10 seeds, but probably closer to five. That's the average. For one apple seed to produce one apple is unnatural. Can you say amen? amen? For one apple seed to produce one apple is unnatural. That violates the laws of nature. It violates the laws of God. Because God is the one who established seed time and harvest. Amen. So let's say that that seed, can you hand me one of those seeds? There's two of them. Let's say that that seed, this is good, just one. Can everybody see that one seed? Yeah. Let's say that that one seed planted produces 10 apples. They say, and I did some research on this, they say that it's potentially... 300 apples on a tree in a, in a season of harvesting that you would get at least 300 apples off of a tree. Now follow this. Apples vary in number of seeds they contain, generally four to 10 seeds. Let's say that the average apple contains five seeds and one apple tree can produce 300 apples in a growing season. 
From this, approximately 1,500 seeds comes. From those 300 apples, now we're looking at 1,500 seeds. Those 1,500 seeds potentially will produce 450,000 apples. And from those 450,000 apples, another 2,250,000 seeds. Now, from those 2,250,000 seeds, I can't count that far. Did you get my point? Don't tell me, and people have tried to, and some well-known preachers have tried to, you can't expect a hundredfold. Your mama. <clears throat> I can expect whatever my faith is capable of believing in. Now, if you can't believe for a hundredfold, no problem. Can you believe God will match you dollar for dollar? <laughs> Let's just start at the lowest level. Can you believe that God can match you dollar for dollar? What about just tenfold? All right, now listen to this. Um, where do I have that? If all God did, which matched me dollar for dollar, then that'd be $2.9 million. If God multiplied my seed, I'm talking about JSMI and Heritage Faith, $2.9 million. If God multiplied my seed 10 times, that would be a harvest of $29 million. But what if God produced a hundred times what I've sown? That would be $280 million. I think we could build a church with that. A bunch of churches. Oh, no, Brother Jerry, that's just not possible. Well, somebody needs to tell God that. Now, I didn't say you were able to believe for that. I didn't even say I'm believing, uh, able to believe for that. But potentially, it's there. <clears throat> that's the kind of harvest, potential harvest that's available. Whether I tap into it or not. Whether I only believe for God matching me dollar for dollar. Or if I have the faith to believe that he will, match, uh, he will multiply my seed 10 times. And that's as high as my faith could go. Praise God. That'd be $29 million. That's not bad. Amen. But don't tell me that I'm not entitled to a harvest. <clears throat> Amen. One preacher said, oh, when Jesus said 10, you know, 30, 60, 100 fold, that was just a metaphor. Well, I'd like to see what a field full of metaphor looks like. 
Because the Bible says in Genesis 26 that Isaac sowed in that land and reaped the same year a hundredfold. So what does a field full of metaphor look like? It was actual crops. In fact, so real, the Philistines were standing on the borders looking at Isaac's crops because they had none and they were envious of what God had done for him and how God had blessed him. And you say, amen. amen. Nobody is envious over a field full of metaphor. <laughs> amen. amen. So once again, the potential is there. But why are we experiencing it? Jesus said, Matthew nine twenty nine. according to your faith, be it unto you. According to your faith, be it unto you. It's impossible to please God without faith. So therefore, no man can put a limit on your harvest. It's according to your faith. Amen. Now, I like to say it this way, and this is what I've been telling the staff here recently. Let's believe for maximum harvest. Let's believe for maximum harvest. You know, I was, I was in uh, Illinois one time, and uh, a friend of mine, he was the uh, president of the Full Gospel Businessmen chapter uh, there, and they were having an annual convention, and they would ask me to come uh, over a period of time, uh, several years in a row. And he owned a major, major farm in Illinois, in the Decatur, Illinois area. And uh, I would go out, Carol and I and the family would go out on his farm, and sometimes they'd have a you know, a, a cookout for us and so forth. And, and we just have a, a great time. And one time I was up there and I went out on one of his combines during the harvest time. And he said, uh, Jerry, last year I was so blessed. Uh, God gave me 10 times what the amount of seed that I sowed. And I was so blessed. And then another time he said, I got 30-fold, 30 times, rather, uh, of the seed that I sowed. And he said, I considered myself extremely blessed. Amen. Amen. He said, now, I know there's potential 100-fold. He said, I've never experienced it, not in my crops. But he said, I'll tell you what, I am not complaining about 30-fold. Right. <laughs> Amen. So 30-fold to him would be maximum harvest, right? If he, could, if he could experience 30-fold return on the seed that he sowed, then as far as he was concerned, that was a maximum harvest. Are you still here? What are you capable of believing for? And notice once again, be it unto thee according to thy faith. It's according to your faith. In other words, harvest is dependent upon faith. If you're not exercising any faith on the harvest, you've given up on your harvest, then no wonder we're not experiencing the kind of harvest that the Bible says we're entitled to. Now, once again, Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. If uh, The message translation says, If we don't give up or quit then the harvest will come. 
And what have we learned here at this church over the years? Quitting is not an option. Look at your neighbor and say, quitting is still not an option. <clears throat> so most people don't think that way. The majority usually give up. But you have to ask yourself this question. How important is my harvest to me? How desperate am I for my harvest? Quitting's easy. Anyone can quit, but sticking with it takes discipline. Without discipline, it's not likely that you'll ever experience the kind of harvest that God promises in his word. Another important factor is uh, stay motivated, stay inspired, stay enthusiastic. How do I get that way, Brother Jerry? Well, stay in the word. Stay in church. Stay around people of faith. Worst thing you can do when you're believing for a harvest and you're not seeing it is get around people who don't believe in the harvest. Well, that's never worked for me. Well, I'm not going to run with you. I'm going to find somebody that it's working for. Praise God. Can you say amen? That's the reason my closest friends are people of faith, not doubters. Hallelujah. So stay motivated, stay inspired, stay enthusiastic. When you, if you were excited about sowing that seed, then remain excited about harvesting. Anticipate the harvest. And just as important, don't listen to people who don't think you're entitled to a harvest. Let God's word be final authority. Can you say amen? amen? All right, now listen to this. Back in 1981, I was preaching with Brother Copeland in the uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, East Coast Believers Convention. And uh, I had preached up until Thursday afternoon. And after that Thursday afternoon service, Carol and I went back to our hotel. And, uh, uh, you know, you're in all of those meetings. And it's one thing to be in those services and then preaching every day along with it. You know, you're human, you get tired. And so we went back to the hotel and Carolyn said, are you going to take a nap? I said, no, I think I'm just going to sit here in the living room and uh, I'm just going to prop my feet up on the coffee table and put my hands behind my head and lean up against the back of this couch and, and uh, just relax a little bit. She said, well, I, I got to take a nap. If I don't take a nap, I won't be able to stay awake when Brother Copeland's preaching tonight. So she went into the bedroom and, and laid down. I, I took my suit off and hung it up and I put on my robe. And I'm sitting there on the sofa in this hotel with my feet propped up on the coffee table. And I got my hands behind my neck, my head, and I just closed my eyes for a moment. And no more, I mean, it was just in the split second that I closed my eyes, the Lord appeared to me. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't ask for it. I'd never had it happen before. I didn't know it was going to happen. And the Lord appeared in my room. And the room filled with the Shekinah glory of God. It got so thick, I couldn't even see the furniture anymore. Somebody asked me when I told them later, what did Jesus look like? I, I, I forgot to look. It was what he was talking about that got my attention. And here's what he said. My people are in financial famine. And I'm going to reveal to you the keys that will bring them out. I had a, a, a legal pad sitting there on the, 
on the table next to the sofa. I grabbed it and started writing as Jesus spoke to me. I filled up that legal pad. You would have thought he would have been there for hours. It was that quick. And when he left, the Shekinah glory of God was still present. And it woke Carolyn up. And she walked in there and she said, what's happening in here? And she walked over and sat down on the sofa. And I said, I just had a visitation from the Lord. She said, what did he say? And I showed her the notebook. She said, are you going to tell Brother Copeland about this? I said, no, I'm not. And so we couldn't sleep then. We got dressed and got ready to go to the service and got over there. And and Brother Copeland was supposed to preach that night. And uh, I'm sitting on the front row next to Gloria and Carolyn, Charles and Peggy Capps and Norval Hayes. Brother Copeland got up, tried to preach, and he couldn't. He said, let's open our Bibles and never told us where. He just looked at his. He just stood there. And then again, he said, let's open our Bibles and didn't tell us where. And he just looked at his. Finally, he closed his and said, Jerry, God visited you today. Come tell us what he said. And so I walked up to the platform and Brother Copeland had his associate to put a chair about this close to the podium. As I went by, he grabbed my my suit pants and said, you tell us everything Jesus said to you and don't leave out a word. Do you understand me, boy? <laughs> I said, yes, sir. So I preached that night the sermon that Jesus gave me and I called it Sowing in Famine. Now at that time, our ministry had 10 major divisions with missions, aviation, television, Bible school, Ten major divisions. And every one of them were suffering financially. And the Lord told me, take $1,000 out of each division of your ministry and sow it into Brother Copeland's ministry. And Carol and I were building our house right around the corner here at that time. And, and we didn't have all the finances we needed to complete that house. And he said, and sow $1,000 out of your personal account. So when I got through preaching, I turned to Brother Copeland and I said, sir, here's $1,000 out of my aviation department, $1,000 out of television, $1,000 out of mission, $1,000. And I sowed $10,000 in $1,000 checks into his ministry. And then I gave him a thousand out of our personal account into his ministry as well. And the Lord said, now, I want you to believe for the blessing of Isaac. And and this whole sermon was based on Genesis 26. I said, the blessing of Isaac? He said, yes, read it again. And he reaped in the same year. Wow. Now, this was October. And Isaac reaped, it was October in that convention. And the Bible says Isaac reaped in the same year a hundredfold. So my faith grabbed hold of that. I can't tell you, uh, I can't explain it to you. All I can tell you is my faith was higher than a Georgia pine tree. And I laid hold upon that and, and walked out of that meeting knowing somehow 
God was going to reward me with the blessing of Isaac. The next week, I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma in a Kenneth Hagin meeting, and Kenneth Hagin wasn't even in that meeting in Charlotte. And Kenneth Hagin stood up to preach, and he got about 15 minutes into his sermon and said, Brother Jerry, stand up. I stood up. He said, I'm about to sow the biggest seed I've ever sown. I'm going to give you my airplane. That was over a hundredfold on that $1,000 seed. That airplane was worth at that time about $270,000, $75,000. So I reaped the next night in that same meeting. Some folks from Canada said, Brother Jerry, God told us to sow $100,000 into your television ministry. Hundredfold. Before December the 31st, I had reaped a hundredfold on every seed I sowed. Amen. Now, if you tell me that hundredfold's not possible, you've come too late. Now, I'm not saying that I have reaped a hundredfold on every seed I've sown, but I have many times. In fact, when Carol and I first started, tenfold wouldn't help us because we didn't have a whole lot of seed to sow. But even if we reaped tenfold, $10, you know, 10 times a dollar that we sowed, that wouldn't have helped us very much. We had to believe. We were forced to believe for hundredfold. I didn't know any better. I didn't know it couldn't happen. I hadn't listened to all the, uh, uh, you know, the negative people. I saw it in the word, Mark chapter 10, verse 30. Whatever you give for me, Jesus said, or the gospel's sake, you will receive a hundredfold in this time. See, I didn't know any better than just believe the Bible. And I said, Carolyn, we're going for a hundredfold because we can't exist on anything less. Right. <clears throat> and God blessed us. Now, over a period of time, you know, I, I'm not saying that I've reaped a hundredfold on every seed I've sown, but I have many times. But I, I'm, I'm not even, even going to talk about anymore the hundredfold. I'm just calling it maximum harvest. Oh, yeah. How I many of you need a maximum harvest? Then that can be whatever you're capable of believing for. Can you say amen? amen? Maximum harvest. All right, now listen to this. Psalm 20. Go there with me real quick. What time is it? I promise I'll be through before the believers convention starts in the morning. <laughs> Psalm 20, and look at verse 1. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary. Strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings. Remember all thy offerings. He remembers all our offerings. He remembers all our offerings. And the last word in that little verse is Selah. Stop and think about this. Stop and meditate on this. I wrote in my Bible years ago when I read that scripture, God never forgets a seed sown. God never 
forgets a seed sown. Now, if you look in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, you'll find a man by the name of Cornelius. And it says, from the Amplified Bible, Your prayers and gifts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Notice, your prayers, not not only his prayers, but his gifts, his seed, his offerings. They came up as a memorial offering before God. And here the word memorial literally means a preserved memory in the mind of God. Hallelujah. A preserved memory in the mind of God. That means you can never sow a seed that God will ever forget. Hallelujah. Now, if God's not going to forget your seeds, why would you? I I produced a, a journal several years ago, a seed time and harvest journal, where people could record the seeds that they've sown. And then when the harvest came in, document it. Just as a point of contact, you know, keep the vision before you. So God never forgets a seed sown. Every offering is preserved in memory in the mind of God. And since he's the one who established the law of seed time and harvest, then why can't we expect to receive a harvest off of every seed we sow? Can you say amen? amen. All right, finally go to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. <clears throat> and by the way, Golly, I have so much to say. I keep having additional notes to my notes. Before we read James, Exodus 33, verse 18, which we have made as our theme, Lord, show me your glory. 2 Kings nineteen nineteen. Now therefore, O Lord, our Lord, I beseech thee. Notice the same words used here in 2 Kings that Moses used in Exodus 33. I beseech thee. Now therefore, O Lord, our God, I beseech thee, <clears throat> save now thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. The Assyrian army, what this is referring to, the Assyrian army uh, is endeavoring to overtake the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and they've already left them in great distress. But now, out of desperation and urgency, he's praying to see the glory of God come on the scene Hezekiah calls on God and notice how he too uses the words, I beseech thee. Everybody say, I beseech thee. That represents desperation and urgency. In Nehemiah 1, verses 5 and 6, and said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, let thine ear now be uh, attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant. 
So Nehemiah has received a report of how they, uh, that many of God's people are still in captivity and they were experiencing great affliction and how Jerusalem's walls were broken down and its gates were on fire. And out of his desperation and urgency, he calls on God and uses the same words. I beseech thee. And then in Psalm 118, verse 25, David says, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. So what I'm seeing is this. Prosperity, harvest on seed sown, is just as much a manifestation of the glory of God as His presence, His power, and His goodness. I beseech thee. Once again, it, it denotes desperation and urgency, a sense of urgency. How many of you have a sense of urgency where your harvest is concerned? I need my harvest. I said, I need my harvest. <laughs> Amen. I sowed it in faith. I sowed it in joy. I sowed it. Counting it a great honor that I had the ability and the privilege to do so. Part of that nearly $2 million sown out of JSMI last year was, was paying a church's mortgage off of $162,000. That was a great joy. I walked away when I gave them that check. I walked away rejoicing. Hallelujah. I've done it with another church to the tune of over $65,000 this year to pay the mortgage off. Hallelujah. Now, I'm not bragging on me, but what I'm pointing out is I was happy to do it. In fact, I've never experienced greater joy than when I'm able to help somebody in need. Amen. This is the way I live. This is the way Carolyn lives. It's the way this ministry operates. Amen. Amen. So I believe I have every right to say, just like David said, Lord, oh Lord, <laughs> I beseech thee. Yes. And David said it twice. I beseech thee, oh Lord, <laughs> send now prosperity. Amen. How many of you, that could be your prayer today? Lord, Amen. say it with me. Lord, Lord. oh Lord. Oh Lord. I beseech thee, Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Say, I need to see my harvest. Hallelujah. Now, the word beseech, once again, shows desperation and urgency. It's an appeal to God, listen to this, for justice to be served. Just like he promised in his word. Psalm 31, 23 says, For the Lord preserveth the faithful. That's a promise. If you've been a faithful sower, then you have this promise. God will preserve you. He's not going to let you go under. That's right. That's right. Psalm 16, 1. 
David said, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. And then Psalm 32, 7 says, thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Notice this is God's promise to faithful people. They will be preserved. And preserve here means to keep, to save, to defend, to uphold, to sustain, and to keep in a sound state. Hallelujah. In other words, God will show them his glory. Now, David was a sower. So he had every right to believe for prosperity. He had every right to believe for harvest on the seeds that he sowed. Listen to 1 Chronicles 29.3. Moreover, David speaking, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of my own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. Now listen to the message translation. Furthermore, because my heart is in this, in addition to and above what I have gathered, I'm turning over my personal fortune of gold and silver for making this place of worship for my God. And the message translations indicates that the amount of gold and silver he gave was this, 113 tons of gold and 214 tons of silver. The boy was a giver. Amen. A sower. And then he says to the people, and now how about you? Who among you is ready and willing to join in this giving? And then they responded, the people responded by giving 188 tons of gold, 377 tons of silver, 679 tons of bronze, and 3,775 tons of iron. Wouldn't you like to pastor that church? (laughs) And when they had finished giving, David says in his closing prayer, Blessed are you, God of Israel, our Father. To you belongs greatness and might and glory and splendor. Riches and glory come from you. Riches and glory come from you. Amen? He's the author of it. Don't get mad at me. I'm just reading the Bible. All right, now let's go to James real quick. James chapter 5. Don't allow Satan to steal your harvest. James chapter 5. James is referring to wicked people here. People that don't have a heart for God. In verse 1 he says, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries, that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. Now who's crying here? Notice the hire the higher. In other words, what rightfully belonged to these people 
that were working this man's fields are crying out for the people that it rightfully belongs to. Are you hearing this? It said, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud. Now, fraud implies deception, deceitfulness, deliberate trickery, so as to keep something from someone that rightfully belongs to them. Doesn't that sound like the devil? (laughs) And then it says, behold, uh, I'm sorry, verse 5. Let's back up to verse 4. I'm not through. (laughs) Kept back by fraud, cry it. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Saboath. That's not Sabbath, it's Saboath. And that word Saboath means host, the Lord of hosts. It's a reference to angels. And notice two cries are taking place. Number one, it's the, the, the wages that rightfully belong to the people that worked his fields. And then the second cry is coming from the people who worked the fields in whom it rightfully belonged. So two cries are taking place. Look at your neighbor and say, two cries. two cries. Look at it this way. The harvest that belongs to you and belongs to me is crying out for its rightful owner. Yes. Your harvest is crying. Now the word crying here does not mean sadness, sorrow. It is a loud utterance in protest or opposition demanding immediate action. Hallelujah. I love that. Praise God. Your harvest is crying. Everybody put your hand over an ear like this. Act like you're listening. Look at your neighbor and say, you hear that? Say, that's my harvest. That's my harvest crying. Crying out for me. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, there, there have been some times when, when, when uh, I've landed at an airport and I'd, I'd see on the field uh, the type of airplane that I was believing for. And sometimes I'd walk up to the windows as close as I could get to that airplane and I'd say, are you my harvest? Are you waiting? Have you been looking for me? We were we were had some lake property down in Granbury for several years, and and I needed a, a a shop that I could put our 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 boat and jet ski and stuff in that the kids and grandkids all enjoyed playing with. And uh, I was storing it in a storage building a couple of miles away. Every time we the family come to the lake, I'd have to go gather all that stuff up and bring it to the lake then gather it all up and take it back to that store. Well, I went down there one day and a man just one house over was building a metal building next to his house. And I noticed him building it. And so the next time I came down there, he had completed it. And I said, that's exactly what I need. That's the kind of building I need. I just said it out loud. That's the kind of building I need. The next time I drove down there, and it was just a short time later, he was driving a for sale sign in the ground. And I walked over there before he even went to my house. 
I said, are you selling this place? He said, yes, I am. He said, uh, my wife's people passed away and they have a place in Possum Kingdom and, and it's been uh, given to us. And so we're moving there and I'm selling my house and my metal building. I said, well, I'm not really interested in your house. Uh, would you be interested in selling that building? You remember it, George. And uh, uh, he said, well, yeah, it's on a separate lot. So I'd be willing to sell that lot in that building. And so he didn't realize that one day I had walked down there and I stood at the fence and I looked at that building and I said, are you my harvest? Because <laughs> the Bible says you will have vineyards you did not plant, houses you did not build, wells you did not dig. He built that for him, but really he built it for me. And I bought the place, praise God, and we, that, it was such a blessing to us. Amen. So I'm not going around saying that, you know, you need to start coveting something that belongs to somebody else. But there's no problem in saying, is it possible you might be my harvest? <laughs> if not, then praise God, we'll move on. And wherever our harvest is. Amen. So... Get this, your harvest is crying out for you right now. While you're sitting right here in this building, your harvest is crying out for you. Now, there's only one thing missing. Most people that it belongs to are not crying out for it. We're not crying out for it. The Lord said to me years ago, you have been an aggressive sower, but you're not an aggressive harvester. And he pointed out to me, and I'll close with this. I was, I was driving to Kansas to do a meeting. And uh, it was back in the days when, before the Lord began to bless the ministry with airplanes. And I was driving to Kansas. And I spent the night in Oklahoma City. Then I was driving the next day to this meeting in Kansas. And I'm on Interstate 35, and it was harvest time for the wheat fields. And when I drove on Interstate 35, there were wheat fields on both sides. It was beautiful. It, the wind was blowing slightly, and it looked like waves on the ocean blowing those, that, that wheat. It was, and it was hundreds and hundreds of acres of it. And so I'm, I'm just enjoying the scenery. I'm just looking at all that wheat growing and it was harvest time. It was ready to be harvested. I preached that meeting that night, and I had dinner with the pastor, and then I got in my car, and I was going to drive back to Oklahoma City to spend the night. So I'm coming through that same area where I saw those beautiful wheat fields, and it's about 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm driving through there, and way off in the distance, I see lights out in that field. And it was one man on a combine at 1.30 in the morning, harvesting. And the Lord said, now that's an aggressive harvester. He said, while everybody else is asleep, everybody else doing something else, this man is out in the field harvesting. He said, why, son? I said, well, he doesn't want it to spoil in the field. He said, that's exactly right. And he will do whatever it takes 
to get that harvest before it spoils in the field. And he said, son, you can't see him, but I guarantee he got a smile on his face while he's doing it because it's harvest time. It's harvest time. Harvest time. Harvest time. Harvest time. Harvest time is really harder than sowing time. More work. But they do it with a smile on their face. I don't ever remember my grandpa saying, son, we got to go to the field. It's time to harvest all that stuff again. (laughs) Son, get up. Boy, it's harvest time. And he did it with a smile on his face. So my point is this. Are we crying out for our harvest? Our harvest is crying out for us. There needs to be a divine appointment where you and your harvest come together. Are you receiving this today? And be aggressive about it. That means sometime while everybody else is sleeping, you're standing up in the bedroom floor speaking to your harvest and commanding the devil, the one who is holding it back, to take his hands off your harvest. God's not holding it back. He's the Lord of Sabaoth. He's the Lord of hosts. I believe personally, and I don't have time to teach on it. I'd love to teach a whole session on it. There are harvesting angels. That's their assignment. So loose the angels. Hallelujah. Angels, go help gather up my harvest. Praise God. In the name of Jesus. Harvest, come into my life. I'm crying out for you, Harvest. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 11 that the, that the violent take it by force. Amen. You can't be mamby-pamby with this because the devil will just laugh at you and keep holding back by fraud your harvest. So let's get serious. We need our harvest. Anybody need your harvest? Hallelujah. Stand to your feet right now and let's pray. Hallelujah. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I receive your word today. And I know that I know that it pertains to me. Because I'm a sower. And if I'm a sower, then I should be a reaper. I've got seed in the ground. It's in good ground. And you promised a harvest. And I've discovered in, my, in the word today that my harvest is crying out for me. And what I need to do is cry out for it and be consistent about it. And don't give up and don't quit and don't become weary. Keep doing it until it comes. I beseech thee, Lord, send now prosperity. Show me my harvest. Show me your glory. I receive it in the name of Jesus. And give the Lord your best shout. Hallelujah. Amen.